Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline. Welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. Today I am with Ying, who is from Singapore, where she where she met Mado from the last episode. They later on became associates to create Luna Travels. But today, Ying is going to talk to us about her expat experience and more specifically her expat experience in Botswana, where she has been living for five years now. Hi, Ying. How are you? Hi, Pauline. I'm really well. Glad to be here with you on this episode. Well, thank you for joining. I am super excited to hear all about your bush stories in Botswana. Um, it's going to take me back to my South African days, I hope. So before we jump into this experience, let's go back a few years. So you are from Singapore and have lived abroad a few times already. Tell me, how did all this happen? What made you want to move in the first place? So I first started traveling with my family when I was uh, quite young. I'm actually Malaysian, but I've never lived in Malaysia. Um, my parents okay. brought me to Singapore when I was three months old. So Singapore is basically all I know. Um, and right. I, still have, I still have relatives in Malaysia, but uh, I only have been there on holiday for festivals or holidays such as Chinese New Year which we celebrate, it's kind of like Christmas. So we get longer right. holidays. And so we traveled a lot, family and I, when we were, when I was younger. And later on that turned into um, joining a company where I worked with Mado, which was a travel agency. Right. And from there, I don't think the travel slowed down at all. It just got... Um, <laughs> It just got even more interesting. We got I got to visit a lot of uh, different um, luxury venues or hotels with the previous company. And from there, I also got to meet, uh, during my working life in Singapore, I got to meet a lot of expats um, as well as other Singaporeans like myself or Malaysians, mm -hmm. locals, I guess. And it made me more curious about being an expat because I was meeting other expats. So from there, I was interested to stay in other places and just experience that sort of lifestyle as well. Is there something specific that you saw among expats that maybe, I don't know if it's a trait or an attitude or type of character or type of experience that they had lived that they sort of communicated to you? Actually, I think it had to do a little bit more with how uh, local culture is, is set up in Singapore. Because in Singapore, it's quite expensive for most uh, younger working professionals to rent a place. Right. So typically, most people live with their parents until they get married. And for okay. me, yeah, yes, for me, I wasn't really interested in that. 
But unfortunately, Singapore being a banking finance hub, most of the higher paying jobs were in these industries. So in travel, I didn't get paid as much as being able to afford a fancy rented place. And I kind of felt that if I wanted to have a bit more autonomy, Mm. I would have to move overseas. So it was a bit of a mix of that, as well as meeting other expats. And in terms of trades, I think it was just, yeah, so I think it was a bit of the freedom that they had, which I was a bit envious of. Okay. As well as the the opportunity to sort of create your own, somewhat write your own new um, existence. New book. Yeah, new book, yes, yeah. Yeah, so a bit of all of that. Okay, so yeah, living your life on your own, finding that independence and mm-hmm. going on an adventure a little bit, I guess. Yes, yes, definitely. So how did you start the process for this and where did you land first? When I first uh, started the process, I was looking to take the box of sort of living in Europe and perhaps Africa. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do all of that on a working visa. So what I tried to do was I was living in Paris first for six months. And then later on, I found a job uh, in Africa. But with Paris, I was actually on a language visa, which I found could let me stay a bit longer than your usual three months as a tourist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I yeah, that's what I applied for and I got that. Yeah, and then and then I while I was in Paris I started looking for my next sort of three month stint in Africa. And initially I wanted to just manage or run a camp, which I, and I didn't think I would actually really be able to stay here this long. To get a working visa so I was happy with just three months but it's turned into a lot longer obviously <laughs> so you were saying you wanted to do a bit of Europe a bit of Africa they're so different in terms of destinations in terms of culture what attracted you to both in terms of Europe I really liked the cultural aspect as you as you say I was really attracted to the old buildings and, you know, the, the history of major cities, uh, not just Paris, but, you know, all major European cities that go back so, so, so many years, whereas Singapore is still a very young country and a lot of it yeah. is very recent history. So I was quite interested in that, that aspect. And when I was in Paris, I used to love just wandering around looking at small streets and you know admiring the buildings yeah it is a street where you just walk around with your heads constantly well I always have my my eyes straight up at the top of the buildings yes exactly and in terms of Africa I was I had been to South Africa twice by that point once as a family holiday and another as a work trip and by a work trip we mean getting whisked around to try out different hotels so that was really nice cool. <laughs> so, 
so yes, I was just really attracted by the nature aspect. And it's just a very calming place for for your soul, without sounding too cliche. Um, just being in the bush. Yes, um, I do think a lot of people come back to to Africa repeatedly for that sense of peace and tranquility that they can't really get from living in a in a city. Yeah, it's true. At least when you go to a safari i feel there is that complete tranquility that you don't imagine until you're actually there how much you reconnect with the nature and just seeing the animals uh live their own life as as if you were in there it's quite quite amazing yes exactly so tell me a little bit more about your life in Botswana now where are you what are you what are you doing okay so when I got the job, I was actually, as I mentioned earlier, I was just looking around for something to manage account for three months. So I ended up getting a job with a more permanent uh, or longevity in the role where I currently do marketing for a safari company, which has a few camps and lodges purely in Botswana. So that entails meeting up with travel agents in different parts of the world who come over here to do what I previously did. So they come over to experience our camps along with our competitors, just so that they can get a good understanding of which to recommend when to, you know, to a client. Yeah. So I do get the best of both worlds where I spend time in the office, actually doing emails like everybody else. But also I do get to take these agents when they come to visit out to our camps and let them experience what we can offer. Wow. Yes. So it's, it's really a wonderful combination of both. And the main attraction of Botswana, which a lot of people come to, to visit is a place called the Okavango Delta. Mm. And here you you get to experience something that's quite unique. Uh, it's an inland delta in the sense that it doesn't flow out to the ocean. And there's a whole right. lot of geography that goes into, into, into the delta because we get uh, the floodwaters from Angola, and that's once a year. And in the rainy season, which comes before the flood, we don't actually get the floodwaters. So they travel a really long way, thousands of kilometers to get to us. And that's when it turns into, yes, it turns into a really beautiful, watery paradise. And that's what makes it so unique because a lot of the places here as well don't have fences. So animals Mm. are able to roam freely between our camps and other different companies' camps and into the national park as well. There are boundaries, but they're drawn in terms of a uh, well. They're drawn in terms of a map, but there aren't actually physical fences. If I okay, sense, yeah. Wow. And the guides that actually know where the boundaries are between our our area and somebody else's area. If you were to put me at the boundary, I wouldn't know that it's a boundary, but they know supposedly. Supposedly, after this tree or this river goes around the corner, you know, that's, that's the end of our, our area. 
Ireland, yeah, it's a bit of a, yeah. d- a different type of signs and <laughs> than we are yes. we are used to. <laughs> exactly, yes. So any exciting bush stories you might have on day-to-day, well, not day-to-day as you were saying you are part in the office, but uh, life on the camp? I have quite a few, uh, and that's really mainly from taking agents out to the bush, like I said. But where I live in Mound, we we live in a small village, or it's bordering on a town in terms of size. There are about 50,000 people, roughly. Um, okay. However, we still have a lot of cattle uh, that roam around on the streets. So you see cows, goats, chickens. <laughs> when you drive down the street, there are really only two main roads in, in the village. Uh, and they are both on either side of the river where, where people live and work. The tallest building structure here is the airport tower where tourists would fly into camp. So there isn't any yeah. high-rise buildings. So it's a complete contrast from Singapore. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the difference of uh, lifestyle, <laughs> yes. You So you say uh, it's a small village and people work in the area. What would what do people work in or what, what do they do for a living in this in this village? Would they all work in tourism or Yes, so predominantly Mound is the gateway to the Okavango Delta. Most tourists don't even really see Mound because mm. there's not a lot of tourism infrastructure within the village itself. Mostly they, they arrive on an international flight from Johannesburg, South Africa. And right. they get taken on small small planes right. from five to twelve seaters. And they get flown straight into the bush camps. Okay. And other people also, so that's a more high-end safari. At a lower budget level, people also go on what we call mobile safaris. So this, mm. you get driven into the national parks and you move camps and somebody, well, there's a team of people who help with the setting up and dismantling of your campsite every few days so that's a mobile safari which is also quite special as well and yeah so most people do work in the safari industry or supporting services for example the people that supply the fuel for the airplanes they you know there's a there's a company that does that there are people who make the parts for the boats vehicles um, you know servicing those vehicles people who supply the food to go to the camps. So it's really generally centered around the safari industry. Yeah. And that's because the capital of Botswana, which is uh, Habarumi. So here the G is pronounced as a H sound. Okay. So Hab- <laughs> yes. It looks it looks like it's spelt uh, Gaborone. Differently, yeah. Yeah, Habarone. Um, and that's really much closer to Johannesburg than it is to us. So... It's an entirely different lifestyle scene there, yeah. Right. So in terms of you settling in then? In terms of settling in, that was quite interesting because I had not been here before, before I decided to move here. (laughs) So there was actually one Singaporean 
randomly that was living <laughs> here and is still living here actually. So I think she's been here for about a decade. I think this is more or less her home for sure. Oh. So she helped me just wrap my mind around moving from a mega city country such as Singapore and what you can get uh, there versus um, what you have to make do with, so to speak, yeah. um, moving here. The social scene that I mostly have tends to also be expats as well. Okay. Yes, that's kind of, um, I mean, yeah, when you move as an expat, you tend to meet other expats you as well. tend to gravitate around expats, but I was wondering if it was a place where you actually could find a lot of expats or if it was a small community. Uh, it's a little bit of both. So there are there is a community of um, locals, uh, obviously, and also more, um, I guess, white uh, families who have lived here for a long time and they have either been guides themselves or run and manage camps themselves. So there is a small community of that. And also expats who tend to be mostly pilots. Um, okay. To, yes, because until I think maybe three or four years ago, there wasn't an aviation school in Botswana. So okay. there were a lot of mainly South African pilots, because um, it's quite close. And also a few other pilots. When I first joined my, my closest circle, at the time, and they've all left now, uh, as expats do. Yeah. They were from India, Wales, France, Spain. That's uh, pretty Africa. diverse. Yes, and even Polish and Finnish. Yeah, one of each, actually. So not like there were many, but yeah, a random few here and there. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been it's been quite interesting getting to know different people as they come, you know, come through uh, Mount for a certain period of time. Most tend to stay, you know, two three years on average as an expat because um, as pilots they want to move on to their next uh, airplane. Mm. Yeah. And did you have any? expectations when you arrived and were those met or completely different upon upon arrival i mean moving from such a big city and hub as singapore to this tiny village uh, as you were saying where you have cattle and and uh, mm -hmm. chickens <laughs> roaming around um in terms of expectations i think i was prepared by my boss who is also British. Um, she's lived here now in total for, I think, 15 years. I think okay. she was about nine or 10 when I first moved here. So she had prepared me quite a lot um, in terms of things you can or can't get. For example, I was advised to bring your or bring a stock of toiletries that you know you absolutely have to have oh, because you yeah, know if you can't if you can or can't get them here. So there was a bit of stocking up on that, that kind of small basic things. And actually, the one interesting thing that I had to get used to is to wear a uniform because we oh. have to wear a uniform in the office. 
And actually, since the pandemic, I've been working from home, so I don't need to wear a uniform anymore. So I'm quite glad. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a welcome, a welcome change. Yes, yes. Um, like, I mean, because our colleagues in the camps do wear a uniform, uh, as, as you can guess, uh, to look yeah. quite ho- homogeneous. So yeah, we do wear uniform in the office as well, but I've enjoyed not wearing uniform. Not having us. <laughs> So yeah, that for me was quite weird because in Singapore you wear uniform during your schooling days. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't really know of any office places where you actually wear uniform apart from okay, pilots and air hostess where indeed they would have a uniform and things like that. But in a office itself, yes. I'd rarely rarely seen that. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's and it's common here as well. Everybody does wear uniform in their specific respective companies' um, uh, logos and branding. So yeah, you can recognize which camp they're working for each time. Yes, exactly. When you go go to the supermarket, you see a bunch of people in khaki, and then you look at which uniform that they're wearing. So that's that's one thing I had to get used to, uh, but also good in the sense because when you first move, you don't necessarily have to bring that many clothes, and because, you can bring the toiletries, yeah. as I said, that you need to, you might not be able to get. Well, the other thing, professionally, uh, it's been nice working in the in an office where um, uh, I'm working with locals. So I was managing a small team. So that was also a learning curve about workplace attitudes or, you know, professional differences. And yeah, so that was interesting as well. Any noticeable differences in terms of culture in the workplace? Um, I think in Singapore, and this is going to sound a bit of a contrast to what Mado said, um, in, in Singapore, most of my friends there, and also when I was doing internships, you do have the same mentality where you do have to stay at work for quite long. Um, mm. And sometimes you're there working, but not on very much, but you're staying there because you should. Yeah, because for the sake of it. <laughs> yes. And here, most people generally really do finish at five. Um, and I'm not saying that just for my company but in general most people finish at five and really do have a a real work-life balance i also found that social events start at five whereas in cities they start a bit later or at least in singapore they start later and you kind of wrap up and go to bed before midnight to be honest whereas in cities you that's kind of more or less when it really gets going. Yeah. I think it's more of the lifestyle or mentality of most people that live here who are just accustomed to waking up early with the bush um, in a safari sort of sense. Um, And that's also translated a little bit into the workplace. So working hours start here at eight usually and finish at five, whereas in Singapore or other cities, I think you would start later, sort of nine-ish. Yeah, usually nine, nine to six or seven. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so moving to, well, staying in 
in the village you are, what would be the top places to go out in terms of bar, restaurant and picking the place of your choice? I know you mentioned there aren't that many. So actually what we do here a lot is that we go to different people's places and have what we call brows. Yeah. Uh, if you say it with the Afrikaans accent, it's a broi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so that really, that's really a, a, a barbecue, but the South Africans or Afrikaans like to make the distinction that it's not just where you turn on a gas barbecue or, or things like that. You actually do the whole thing with wood, uh, start the fire and charcoal and everything. And that's actually one thing I've learned how to do is to start my own fire. <laughs> well done. <laughs> After a failed attempt once with three other friends who had no, and all four of us had no idea how to start our own fire and we were trying to have our own braai, we all resolved to get better at it. So we would not okay. just be token visitors or token expats who didn't know how to start our own fire. So all four of us are not South African. So that's why we had no idea how to do it. And then we realized that we really should get an idea of how to do it. <laughs> Other than that, the main places that I would recommend if anybody ever spends any time in Maun is a place that is probably quite known in most guidebooks. It's called the Old Bridge Backpackers. And okay. it's called the Old Bridge because um, it's where the old bridge is. And this is across the river. So there's a bridge that goes across the river in Mound. There's a backpackers that is literally right next to it. So it's got quite a lively tourist scene when there are tourists. Obviously none now. <laughs> but also a lot of us do go there for, for drinks every now and again. Okay. So that would be more for drinks. And in terms yes. of restaurants, would it be same they do serve good uh good food good pizza um they actually serve vegetarian burgers if, if that's um of a concern to anyone so that's they they have pretty good veggie burgers but another place that i would recommend for food although this is more of a daytime cafe is a place called mark's eatery so that's mark with a c ending with a okay. c and he is half french half German and he makes really amazing food. He opens well it now after he's reopened in the post lockdown phase of life. Yeah. He opens on Friday evenings if he has enough bookings. So he <laughs> which is fair. I mean, you need to cover yeah. some costs, and if you no point in having too much staff if no one's going to come I completely get it <laughs> yes yes so he does experiment with different recipes and ingredients every Friday so if there's enough bookings we get to try quite fun stuff so I've had Thai fish cakes there a couple of Fridays ago nice and I think last Friday I had another steak which is really well done. So yeah, he he does very nice ingredients and he makes the most amazing duck terrine, which I oh, did not wow. know you could get in Mount until somebody tipped me off. 
(laughs) (laughs) that he makes it fresh and it was really quite amazing. So that's quite a nice thing about Mount as well. So a lot of things you hear about are word of mouth. And so once the once my friend tips me off to that, I've been buying it quite regularly from him. (laughs) Talking about food, what is a local dish or a specific traditional dish in Botswana? So we do serve this actually at our camps once a week. It's a traditional dish called seswa, and that's mainly pounded or minced beef. The consistency or the texture is very, very similar to pulled pork. So think about that, but with beef. It tastes quite similar, a bit salty, but also, um, yeah, just really, it's not really very complicated in terms of flavor uh, because traditionally it's not meant to be too, I mean, it's not Paris or France, you know, where you get very complex flavors in some of of the dishes. So it's a more basic tasting dish, but still really hearty and just marinating in its own, you know, nice juices its own seasoning and to go with that there is a starchy dish which is called pap it's basically like maize and it's more starchy starchy which you you know add with the beef and that goes quite nicely yeah so I know in South Africa they had they had millies. I don't know if that's the same thing. Yes, it's quite similar. Okay, yeah, so it would be similar. sort of uh, cornstarch, a bit like mashed potatoes, but made out of cornstarch. I think. Yes, 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 yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes, it's it, it looks okay, like mashed potatoes, okay. but yeah, more starchy. But it's white instead of you know yellow like mashed potatoes. Okay. Yeah. And there's also pounded spinach, which are, which are the three main dishes that you, you would find as part of a traditional meal. Okay. And so coming back to the local spots or places, what would be your favorite spot? So we went through the bar at the restaurant and I always ask for a third spot, which can be anything you want. This is really hard to choose because, (laughs) and I would say generically, it would be anywhere that has a beautiful sundowner spot. So when you go out on safari, uh, usually your guide would stop off, you know, after having seen a really cool sighting, Mm. lions or wild dog, Uh, wild dog's my favorite. Uh, So your guide... Yes, it's it, they're quite um, endangered and hard to see, but we are lucky to have a good population in, in Botswana. So yeah, we would yeah after after seeing a really cool sighting after a nice afternoon safari, the best part is you know just pulling off somewhere and stopping, and then your guide unpacks the whole um, trunk where they pull out your gin and tonic or wine or whatever you've asked for them to bring along and just talking about the sightings or just being in the middle of nowhere not with anybody else but the people in your vehicle and just looking at the sunset and that for me is is really the essence of being on safari just enjoying the whole moment of being in the bush um, just being really 
yeah, living in the moment. Um, and there are some, it, it's hard for me to choose a specific part of the country where, where there would be nicer sundowner spots than the other because they're all so special in their own way. And I think each spot also brings with it a certain memory of something I've seen um, on, that, on that safari. Yeah, it's all that a specific moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So any bush stories or funny bush anecdotes that you might have to share? Uh, I think my, I have a couple. One favorite one I do really enjoy retelling is when I took an agent out to one of our camps. She had just come from another one uh, of our camps as well, so we have a few. And I joined her on her second night with us, and she was saying how they had been looking for these wild dogs and couldn't find them at the first camp of ours that she had been at. So we went out that afternoon with four other guests in the vehicle, and luckily they were all interested in looking for the wild dogs as well. So we... We tried, we, I can't remember if we saw anything else on that drive, but still we had a really fun time. Just the guide was very entertaining, told us lots of stories and anecdotes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about seeing a lion or, or whatever. So, you know, yeah. he, the guide still made it really interesting just talking about the birds and the plants and everything. And so finally we get to our sundowner spot. The guide set up everything. There's a small tray of snacks with olives, just small finger food. Everybody's having the drinks. And so I'm facing this agent and I'm talking to her and my back is towards a, a water hole, which we usually right. you know, stop for a drink because you get right. the nice uh, reflection of the sun in the water hole. So we're talking and after a while she, she looks behind me and she's um, not really saying anything. She's just staring and pointing, but words are not really coming out. <laughs> so I turn around and right behind me, there are, I think, eight wild dogs just running past on the other side of the waterhole. So really oh, wow. not very far from me, completely ignoring all of us in the vehicle and they're hot in pursuit of something. So actually, you're not really supposed to be on foot when there are wild animals about, obviously. So the guy suddenly realizes this, this is all happening because it's happening so quickly. And he's like, okay, everybody get back in the vehicle. And, you know, everybody's struggling to put the drinks back in the cooler box. Everybody's trying to get into the vehicle with their drinks, pouring out their drinks. And then he jumps, everybody's back somewhat in the vehicle. And obviously, everybody's really keen to see these wild dogs. So we all... Um, so he says, everybody ready? And, you know, we set off, remembering that it's kind of getting dark. We don't have much time to follow them. So we try to follow them for a bit. And because they're running so fast, they're obviously hunting something. We're chasing them, following them. Um, but then we lose them quite quickly because of the light. Uh, still, everybody's bouncing around inside the vehicle. The guy keeps saying, hold on, hold on. And anyway, so after maybe, I think, 20 minutes of trying to follow them, so it's not very long, to be honest, but it feels like forever and you're just filled with adrenaline. Yeah. So finally we stop and it's yeah pretty much can't really see anything by now. And suddenly this guest and it, I mean, everybody's like, yeah, that was a good try. That was really fun. 
too bad, you know, we, we all made an effort. And this one guy at the back of the vehicle somehow has managed to hold on to his drink, not fall out of the vehicle, <laughs> and is still holding the plate of snacks. And he says, olives, anyone? And all of us just, just like completely crack up at that point because I don't know how he managed to stay on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And keeping the olives safe. Yes, keeping the olives safe. So the olives, anyone, is quite a memorable, funny anecdote that I will always remember. Chasing those wild dogs with olives. Yes, yes, exactly. We didn't see them, but it was it was still funny in the end. And then, you know, you return back to camp in really high spirits and yeah. we meet the other guests at, on the same camp at the dinner table and tell them about what we've seen and done and that. That's a really nice part about safari because you get to share so much. Um, you get to meet all sorts of interesting people as well. Yeah, I, I remember those uh, those nights where everyone would sit around the fire after after the safari, would share a meal together, and everyone would share what they had seen during the day, what animals, the excitement, and it was just you all had stars in your eyes all night. Yes, 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 definitely. Um, and it and never gets old. And I don't think no. after five years and going out to the bush regularly, even though I still always go back to our camps, you never really see the same thing and you might see the mm. same animal, but they're always doing something different. And yeah. you always get to learn a little bit more about their behavior. So yeah, even though you, even though you might see something in the morning, um, and then you see them again in the afternoon, they're probably doing something else different because they're just, you know, living. They're just living their natural right. life cycle. They might be hunting in the morning, but be unsuccessful. So they might be more eager in the afternoon. Yeah. So you get to see really different um, dynamics of the whole ecosystem. You really have my childhood dream uh, dream job. So I, <laughs> I I lived in South Africa when I was younger. Uh, we lived in Johannesburg, but went yeah. uh, went on safaris on holidays. And I think after the third or fourth safari, I was what I was probably eleven or twelve years old, something like that. Um, I hop off the jeep and tell my mom, "Mom, I know what I want to do when I'm older. I want to be a ranger in a safari." Yeah. <laughs> yes yes i know it's um yeah i really decided to take the plunge and, and do it um and like i said i thought it was going to be you know a really short stint but it's still yeah i mean there are lots of opportunities for people who are who are keen so you don't have to necessarily know how to be a ranger which i have now found out <laughs> yeah it's great that you took the leap and took that opportunity pretty amazing how long did you live in Johannesburg? I was there for four years. Okay, that's really cool. In the yeah. uh, French school at the time. And yeah, it was a bit of a... I came from Ireland straight to Johannesburg when I was nine years old and had no idea what to expect from South Africa. I think in my mind, it was a bit uh, that a bit of, this is going to be the savannah. And I had no clue about <laughs> the big cities. <laughs> I mean, yes. I was nine years old, had only lived in Ireland, well, had left Paris when I was two, so I didn't really know Paris, but had only lived in Europe in big cities. And in my mind, we're going to Africa, we're going to South Africa, Was it, this is going to be a giant savannah. Which yes. 
Yes, yes, I can imagine that as a as a child, you'd be like, oh, we're just gonna live amongst the lions, mummy. Yeah, <laughs> so I was a little bit scared <laughs> before <laughs> moving, <laughs> but yeah. definitely enjoyed uh, enjoyed the experience, and that country really stays stays in my heart today. Have you been back um, since no. to visit other places? No, I haven't had the opportunity to go back. Yes. No, I haven't been back to, to those parts where, well, we had traveled through Namibia, through Zimbabwe, and South Africa, obviously, uh, when we were there. But I would definitely love to, I'd love to go back and see other countries from the area and also go back to South Africa. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. So I actually haven't been to, to Namibia, although it's really close. And I would love to go there as well. But I have traveled a little bit around to Mozambique uh, oh. and to Lesotho, actually. Uh, oh. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's another interesting thing that I've learned how to do here, which is to learn to horse ride. Um, and it's a lot more affordable here. I've, I yeah. made a, a friend who works for a horse riding safari company. So she taught me how to ride because I saw pictures of, well, videos actually, of people horse riding in the Delta and, you know, they were just like flying through the floodplains with the water or coming up beside giraffe, elephants, you know, on horseback. Yeah. And you do get much closer to the animals when you're on horseback also. Yes, it's it, it, like I saw the pictures and I said to myself, well, I'm already here. The only thing I don't know how to do is ride a horse. So... I think that can be fixed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and then we we ended up traveling to Mozambique and listened to 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 horse ride together. Um, so oh. I'm actually doing cool. that this this weekend. So the company she works for it has put on a short um, riding safari holiday. So I'll be in the bush for three nights, riding basically. So I'm really excited. Nice. Sounds very exciting. <laughs> so I have this question I ask everyone about their experience is, do you have a song that resonates with your stay in Botswana? I actually do. And it's quite ironic because actually there is a music video that was filmed here. Okay. And so, it, so the the vis music video was shot in uh, where the old bridge is, is, which is why I mentioned that. It's called "Am I Wrong" by okay. Nico and Vince with a V I N Z, and it is actually a, a duo from Norway, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> And they shot most of it in Mound. So if you watch the mu music video, you get to see some scenes of Mound and a quick glimpse of the old bridge, which actually doesn't even look like what it looks like in the music video anymore yeah. because they have even improved that. So, I mean, it's a, it's a little sign that things are always changing and development will always come to, to even places like Mound, which is good. Uh, it's not a bad thing, but it's, yeah, nothing ever really stays as they are. And okay. when I was looking at the lyrics or researching the song a little bit to find out why they shot it and filmed it in Mound, 
they didn't really give any specific reason as to why they filmed it in Mound, but they did say it was just to paint Africa in a more positive light. So, okay. yeah. And it does, does it do it justice? Yes, you do see some really cool scenes of, of, uh, of Mound and of the Old Bridge, and they also shoot the ending of it in a place called the Makarikari Salt Pants. So that's a bit like the very well-known and well-photographed, um, I think, Bolivian salt flats. So it's quite similar, similar looking to that, um, the nice. salt pan area. Okay, well, I'll link the video clip in the description so you guys can see all the views of the old bridge in Mountain. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So what would be the next step for you? You mentioned uh, your plan was Paris. Uh, yes. So as much as I love living here, I mean, in the back of your mind, you always know it's not necessarily where you're going to be. Well, for some places, you know, it's not necessarily where you're going to be forever. And I really enjoyed my time in Paris. Um, and I said to myself, I'd like to return. And somehow that has uh, manifested in itself. And I have started a company with Mado yeah. called Lumina Travel. And so we are looking to build on that a lot more this year and next year. And my work permit does technically expire in a couple of months at the end of the year okay. so that that is going to be my next step wow well i wish you all the best with this next step and i hope you guys grow your company as uh, as you want to thank you so much for uh for joining me on this podcast i really loved going through the bush with you and uh, <laughs> your wild dog stories definitely took me back to those safari days I'm glad. I'm glad craving to go back. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I can help you if you want to come to Botswana next time and give you a lot more tips on, on what you can do. I definitely will. Uh, we'll hit you up on that. Thank you all for joining. I will link in the description the bar, restaurant, and the video clips so you guys can all uh, check those spots out and listen to to the song. Uh, don't forget to follow on Instagram and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for joining, Ying. It's a great, great pleasure to have you. Thank you, Pauline. I really enjoyed sharing as well. Thanks so much.